Unloose the goose. We'll take no views. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. Hey there, welcome ladies and gentlemen to Unloose the Goose episode 70. Today, we're going to be talking about decentralized technology, decentralized technology, not just blockchain and cryptocurrency, although we'll spend a considerable lot of time talking about that, but all sorts of ways that you can decentralize your life in general. We'll talk about why centralization is a big problem, although it seems to be pretty obvious these days. And of course, we'd love to hear your comments and your questions. This is Unloose the Goose podcast, the agorist solutions podcast, the number one agorist solutions podcast on the internet. We've got a wonderful gaggle of geese joining us today. Let's just go around starting with old Mr. Spearco and uh, introduce ourselves and let us know what you're drinking on today. Well, I am Jack Spearco and I am drinking horrible, terrible Coors Light beer because I want a beer. I want a beer today, but I also have to keep my carbs low. So that's what was in the fridge left over from the last workshop. My brother-in-law drinks Michelob Ultralight. You might give that one a try. It's pretty decent, too. It's, it's as good as that. <laughs> <laughs> Setting the standard low. <laughs> then you're not disappointed. Who else we got on today? <laughs> we going this way? Uh, Fair Trade Organic uh, Blonde Espresso. And Blue Dream. Bonnest. <laughs> and I'm Xavier Hawk. I just spoke at the North American Bitcoin Conference in Miami. Um, so, And I talked about decentralization and the hype and all of the FUD around the industry right now and how people say they're decentralized, but they're not. So this should be a really interesting chat. And I'm drinking some tea. Sweet. Yeah, we'll You're definitely mobile too, have dude. a breakdown on what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I just left Miami, so I'm, I'm headed home now. Excellent. My name is John Bush, sipping on some Bray Botanicals Kratom. You can get yourself some if you want to try it for free at freeounceofkratom.com and some water as well. I'm actually pretty overwhelmed right now with, with life, with all this. We've got the Greater Reset coming up next week, the 26th through the 30th. Folks can sign up at thegreaterreset.org. But you know what? Uh, I think it's all important for everyone to, to take a, take stock of where we're at in this world and really to double down our efforts, both on a personal level, which is really what's most important, the way that we live our lives. And we'll talk about some stuff folks can do today to improve and decentralize their lives, but also activism, talking to people, uh, just injecting ideas into conversations without being annoying or obtuse, of course, uh, is really critical and important. And I think with the way things are going, you know, with the Great Reset and the technocracy and the further centralization of power and authority, decentralized technology is a godsend right now, really. It's it's a wonderful tool, wonderful tools that people can utilize in order to make some big change. So why don't we first start by talking about centralization, right? So we can kind of polarize the conversation here. We got decentralization versus centralization. Centralization has been the standard and the status quo for actually decentralization is the original way that everyone lived their lives with tribes and local food production systems, right, and local economies. And then centralization became the norm. But now we're having a throwback to localization and decentralization, which I think is a pretty good thing. So let's let's what, what do you guys think are some of the biggest 
centralized that what do you think are some of the institutions that threaten our freedom, prosperity, uh, health and quality of life the most? What centralized institutions do you think we should be watching out for? All of them. <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, like if you think about the things that are most essential to humanity, uh, I feel like we've all been sold a bill of goods that we need government and government oversight and all those things. And then they all get centralized. So if you think about the food system, it's centralized. If you think about the electrical system and energy system in general, food, uh, so, you know, electricity, gas, all of it, it's centralized. Even the, the grid distributes out, but it's centralized in the, from a standpoint of control of power generation and distribution. Uh, medicine is centralized. Uh, the Internet largely, other than, you know, the blockchain technology, is centralized. Um, even when we have the illusion of decentralization, because you have Twitter over here and Facebook over there, it's still centralized. I'm not really sure there's an essential need of humanity that's not centralized. And I thought what was really interesting, John, that you said, like, the default was decentralization. And, I mean, even electrical, when electrical really started rolling out in this country, it was largely decentralized because we didn't have a grid everywhere. So, I mean, I remember uh, one of uh, Jeff Yago's books, he wrote on, like, uh, prepping for electrical emergencies and all. He kind of pointed out that, you know, back in the day, some of the first people to have electricity in our country were farmers. Two reasons. One, we had more farmers than anything else, right? But the other thing was they needed power. They needed energy. And they ran off batteries and generators, and it's interesting that, like, every, it seems to me like, anyway, that every major essential need of humanity has moved to centralization. And I think it makes perfect sense if you're them, because the, the thing you want to control is everything that people need, and then that way they become dependent on you. Yeah. yeah yep, sure. that's literally how it works. I mean, all of the systems that run, the, the vital systems, even oil, power, uh, food, it's all gone into this. And, and, and it's because everything started organically. But then you need greater structure, stability to allow civilization to grow. And so every problem becomes, every solution becomes the problem, right? Like, oh, we've got all of these grids everywhere. Nobody's using a standardization. Let's, let's solve that problem, right? So that there can be more uh, equity across the board. But then it becomes the problem. Just like, you know, chlorine was the solution to everybody getting dead. There he goes. There he goes. <laughs> <laughs> At least he has an excuse this time. He's on the road. We got to give him some. People some don't want to let solutions grow. Is he frozen? No, nope, there he is. All right. So, yeah, food. Food is highly centralized. It seems like the more centralized, uh, the more vulnerable for failure. Right? It's like don't put your all, all your eggs in one basket. And so we see this increase in centralization. The supply chain is highly centralized. And, you know, when it comes to the Internet, I guess it's the telecoms, right? The telecoms are the ones that are controlling. That's where the centralization is. That being said, however, there's a lot of fear. Like when I talk about crypto and blockchain technology, a lot of people assume there's some Internet kill switch, which it could be argued that, you know, the government has a lot of influence over all of the major telecom companies that you connect to the Internet with. But it's not like there's one Internet kill switch or there's one way to completely shut people's access to the Internet altogether. And then I want to bring up one thing, too, that a lot of people fail to recognize in the whole conspiracy world. It's like a lot of people believe that the New World Order, quote unquote, or the cabal or shadow government or deep states, the big term nowadays, that they're omnipotent. They're all powerful. 
And there's like other factors at play just because these elite, you know, manipulators want to shut the Internet off in a given area or worldwide doesn't mean that the companies that rely on folks money in order to meet their shareholder demands are going to shut the Internet off. Does that make sense? Y'all know what I'm saying on that one? Yes. However, you know, in like, you know, uh, Kazakhstan, they totally shut everything down. Right. Yeah. But you've got a, a more centralization of, of uh, it. So the government ultimately has power. And if they come into AT&T, let's say in the United States, and there's a big power outage or there's a problem, they'll come in and shut them down. And then they can su- try to sue them later. Right. They can try to sue the federal government later. But ultimately, when it comes down to flex time, like they could if they really wanted to. This is something I actually talked about this today Um well, I'll, I'll wait a little bit when we start getting into the, the, the myth about decentralization on the, on the crypto space. Cause I got a lot to say on that. Cool. All right. Well, anybody got any other thoughts on the, uh, on the centralization of internet? Um, you know, on the, on the kill switch thing, to a degree they do because you, the average person's using straight up regular internet protocol, right? They're using the domain registration system. So, um, there's a lot of ways you could it really quickly adversely affect Internet access in the United States. You start looking at things like Starlink, though, and then people learning how to use Tor and onion addresses and all. And I, I don't know that 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 genie can ever go completely back in the bottle, but they certainly could very easily suppress Internet communications. Right. I don't think yeah. they could shut everything down like one kill switch, but I think they could make it to where the average person wouldn't be able to do jackedly scrap if they wanted to pretty quickly right now. I don't know how long we're going to stay that way. One cool thing about America compared to Kazakhstan, for example, is that it's a big freaking area and there's a lot of competing Mm -hmm. factors. And then Kazakhstan, I imagine has one strong, powerful central government. And like we talked about this, I don't know what it was a goose or I've been mentioned this before. Like, you know, back in my political activism, we thought, that the 10th Amendment and American federalism was an absolute joke. And it's like, yeah, right. Nobody pays attention to that. But now with all this COVID-19 right. stuff, we got a lot of states that are really pushing back. So yeah. Yeah. Possible, some states would be like, no, we're not going to allow the whatever hubs are in our state to be shut down or whatever. That, that's a good thing about the states. Big, it's a little more decentralized, right, because of that fed- federalist system. Uh, and maybe we're not as vulnerable as we are in Kazakhstan. But it's definitely something to be aware of. So mesh networks are one uh, opportunity. Uh, Hawk, do you got some uh, familiarity with mesh networks specifically for Internet or like Wi-Fi connectivity? Yeah, actually, um, Helium, right? Helium is a mesh net, a blockchain mesh network, essentially. It's using radio waves to propagate uh, signal and you can mine. You, like you can get these uh, helium miners, ant miners. You can stick them in your in your house and you can be mining uh cryptocurrency right with with helium and what you're doing the service that you're providing to get these coins is to provide radio signal in, and mesh networks in your area that people are using for internet and for propagating internet over the radio right so there's there's a lot of really cool mesh network type stuff we're working on a uh so we turned on an internet that exists at the soft atomic bond layer of the atoms. So we can store data on atoms and transfer data on atoms, right? <laughs> um, there's, there's, wow. it's crazy. Like, and nobody, there's no bottleneck for it and nobody knows it exists yet. 
And like, if when we're ready to, we could just like turn it on, right? So this is stuff that's like prototyped, but it's not publicly aware. The, the market doesn't know about these things yet. They, it's just like uh, the guy from Signal saying, you know, everybody has the opportunity to run a server, but how many people actually run a server, right? Yeah. So we're talking about mesh networks. How, who's going to go put up a mesh network in their neighborhood, right? It's only specialized, interested nerds like us that would want to do that shit. And, you know, not very many people do. They count on AWS and all these other people to run servers for them when really the only way you have operational security or decent, true decentralized resiliency is by running your own servers. I know, Jack, you do. Yeah, I mean, I run I run a Start9 server here out of the house. It runs apps, basically. But I think the kind of server you're talking is more like a web server hosting your site and all. And I do that. But see, even that, I'm dependent upon a provider. Right? I use a provider right. called 100 Terabytes. Um, I have a server sitting in Salt Lake City. Um, I'm sure that if they really want to shut me down, they could contact my provider and say, hey, y'all need to shut Jack Spearco down. Now, we also, we mirror everything on an Onion address. So the TSP lives on Tor. So we, you can't get rid of us. There's no way to That's really awesome. get rid of us. But but yet, I'm going to tell you 99% of all the traffic is coming through the conventional Internet, you know. Yeah, but at right, least we have right. the option, right? If somebody wants to access us, completely privately, or if they interfere with us, we're still here. You know, we're not gone. Yeah, so I there think the are some web game, Sorry, go ahead, John. I was going to say, the name of the game right now, just like Jack's show talks about, is, is preparedness, right? Whether, shit, whether they shut the Internet down or not, we ought to be setting up the infrastructure, whether it's your website mirrored on Tor or the interplanetary file sharing system. This guy, Mike Swatek, he'll be at the Greater Reset. He's he's great, right. dude. They're doing Aircrete uh, homes, dome homes, too. He's, he's all over doing some really cool projects. But the mesh networks, the helium, the idea is, like, let's set this stuff up now while we have a good standard of living and access to resources and we're not totally shut out of the system so that if or when that does happen, we're able to just carry on communicating with one another and exposing people to these radical ideas. Well, here's a really simple thing that everybody can do. So they, they, they use what are called DNS servers and um, layers of protocol on top of the World Wide Web that you can type in a web address, right, and, and go to the website. If Who's you there? go to the website, uh, anybody, like uh, like tsp.com or tsp.co, right? Um, you you have an address, but there's an underlying IP address that if the internet goes down, right, you can actually type in the IP address and still get to the website so far as that website's hosted on a server that hasn't gone down. So it's like knowing the real address versus the, the conventional address. That's one thing that I went and did for all of the sites that I needed or thought that I would need in a grid down situation or, a, you know, without rule of law is like you can find the, the IP addresses. And now with Web3, there are web extensions and uh, web addresses that you can get that are completely decentralized that can't get taken down, right? Nice. So, Yeah, I, you know, I think one thing too, uh, another good uh, maxim is like, I, I always like to talk about uh, like degrees. So here you have totally decentralized, completely private, 
You got a, a de-Googled phone. You have the encrypted communication. You got the mesh network. You're completely off the grid. And then here is like total, quote unquote, normie life, completely centralized and completely dependent on all centralized systems. It doesn't, it's not necessarily the case that everyone needs to be over here, which is pretty freaking challenging. Even for myself, ingrained in this world, like I don't know where to start on half of this stuff. But the important thing is like just start inching your way towards decentralization. And when it comes to like a server, don't use Amazon's services to host your website or whatever. Use a local person that's like-minded, right? Like my websites are hosted at Agorist Hosting. It's like-minded freedom dude I've known for like 12 years and they service all my websites and they have their own servers. We still use the traditional internet, but it's one step closer towards that resiliency and the decentralization. So people, I think a lot of people get overwhelmed with all the stuff that gets shared in, in our world. And I just want people to know, like, you don't, it's not all going to happen overnight. Just start taking those baby steps that are practical and doable. And before you know it, when you've, you've embedded yourself in this lifestyle and these strategies and tactics for three, five, ten years, you're living a completely different life and you're a lot more safe from manipulation. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I would just say that one of the things that hits sites that are really popular and put out like rich content on a daily basis, like my podcast is I actually have a very limited number of options for hosting in the conventional space. I mentioned I use a host called 100 terabytes and that's because I burn terabytes of data. <laughs> Most of the small hosts like you're talking about, I love the idea of working with them. They don't want me, right? I mean, like, or they do and they want to charge me, you know, seven grand a month at bandwidth charges, right? I mean, my hosting, Owning my own box, co-located at this facility, is over $700 a month just to wow. deal with that bandwidth. And Process that is literally PSP. the yeah. cheapest good option I have. I can do it cheaper on AWS, but I don't trust those bastards. I trust my host right. more. But I don't have, like, you know, my list is two hands maybe in numbers of people that I can afford to use to host the volume of content that I put out. And but so a company that's not it's not freaking Amazon, right? It's not big yeah. It no. may not be the, the grassroots guy that we know, but it's like it's still not freaking Amazon, which I think is a pretty good step. That's well, I think it's gonna say well, I, I don't want to do this, but since they let you host porn, then they probably would leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you never know. Like, you know, you never know. controversial stuff. We could be en- enemies of the state one of these days. Yeah. Guys were not by now. I guess they got their hands full with all the freaking January 6th type folks and militia type folks and, and all Stuart Rhodes who just got indicted. God bless them. You know, if, if, if you're busy bothering parents going to school board meetings, you don't really have a lot of time to mess with geese, yeah. right? Like you, you, those soccer moms are squirrely, man. You got to really dedicate a lot of resources to harassing soccer moms to get it done right. That's like, it seems like it'd be a headline on, uh, what's that B? What's the B thing? Babylon B. Babylon B. Like, <laughs> no time for militia as, as soccer moms, do, you know, dominate FBI uh, resources. I think That's the cool amazing. thing about agorism is that, and I had this revelation recently, it's like we, the, the state is threatened by folks that try to overthrow them or like go face them head on, right? We're just like, we just want to be left alone. We're just going to go do our thing over here. We're going to homeschool the kids. We're going to use crypto. We're going to raise our, we're going to do a garden bed. 
we're not like protesting or marching on the Capitol and stuff. So it's less provocative. It's less of a threat, I think. In reality, it's the biggest threat to their power. But I guess they don't really recognize that you just yet. They probably will, though, when our numbers swell. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about blockchain, right? I definitely want to spend time talking about other forms of decentralized technology because we've definitely beaten blockchain to death on this program. But, Jack, do you mind if I share my screen? I got something that I think is really insightful. No, go ahead. Um, I, how do I let you... pull it up? There you go. It should show up there now for you. Yeah, I can do that. Hold on. Add to stream. Cool. So I did this uh, Build Wealth opt-out webinar recently. Um, a lot of people attended. It was a great success. And, and I, I, you know, I try to really simplify the explanations for stuff because a lot of folks in my audience, uh, they're older. They're not very comfortable with computers or even smartphones, let alone freaking blockchain technology. Uh, so I wanted to give this analogy, right? So I was looking to expand my office space here in Bastrop, and I visited this old bank downtown. It's a bank that was founded in the 1800s. And it's been preserved, which was pretty cool because it's a, it's a historical site. Uh, so I, I, I didn't end up renting it because they insisted that all of this furniture get kept for the podcast audience. It's a picture of an old bank literally preserved in time for 100 years. It's really freaking cool. So I started looking around and found they had all of their books, all of their ledgers, right? And so oh, to wow. understand blockchain technology, really what it is is a public ledger. And ledgers have been utilized all throughout history as a means of record keeping and popularly as a means of keeping financial information. Who has what money? Who has what debits and what credits and when they send it and what their account balance is, right? And so this is an example. It's Chase National Bank. You can see the registers 1932. No, that 1932 here at the top. You have your debits. You have your credits. There's a reconciliation down at the bottom. And so the big innovation of blockchain technology is unlike Chase National Bank or the Federal Reserve Bank or the United States Department of Treasury or Wells Fargo or your credit card company, you don't have to trust a bank in order to maintain the authenticity, the accuracy, the legitimacy of the ledger that shows who owns what, who sent what to whom and how much their new balance is. And I don't know if folks remember like... HSBC was recently laundering money for the drug cartels. Wells Fargo was recently shaving money out of people's checking accounts. And they got, it wasn't Wells Fargo like the board of directors decided this, but people that work for Wells Fargo were able to take people's money and move it to their own accounts and stuff. With cryptocurrency, unlike this centralized ledger, the accounting for who owns what Bitcoin, which is like the unit that gets traded on the Bitcoin network, the accounting is distributed on over 14,000 different ledgers that are stored on 14,000 plus computers in almost every single country in the entire world. So I just thought it's a great way, you know, trust is the big issue that, that we're trying to solve here. And I think Satoshi Nakamoto, he, she, they, or them did a pretty good job of doing it. So I just wanted to illustrate that. I thought that was pretty cool when I when I saw that there. I was like, I got to take a picture of this. Hopefully, I didn't you know ruin someone's privacy from 1932. But that's <laughs> that's what blockchain technology is. It's it's the storing of information, but instead of storing it on one party's server, a bank, credit card company, a government central bank, where you have to trust them, the information is distributed and auditable on thousands or tens of thousands of computers. And then anytime I send Bitcoin to Jack, Jack sends it to Hawk, 
that's a, a, updated on all of the different ledgers, all the distributed ledgers, all at the same time, and everyone agrees that this is all accurate, and there's a consensus that this is accurate information. I think that's that's pretty cool, and it just it's more than just money. It's titles, it's governance, it's uh, art, right? It's land titles, it's it's all sorts of really cool stuff that I'm super excited about. I, I think it's awesome, but I, I think kind of what exit on earlier though is a lot of the stuff that we think of because it's on blockchain we think of as decentralized ain't right like most of the crypto <laughs> out there right you know if if five people can get together and say we're going to change the monetary policy or we're going to change the number of nodes or we're going to change the uh the rate of inflation or we're going to change anything is the thing decentralized just because a lot of people run nodes on it right it may actually be very secure it may be very um, resistant or even immutable to anything outside the ecosystem, like so the government can't stop it. But if, right. if you know, uh, if Mr. Hodgkins, while he's busy shoving burgers in his face, can make a decision that that Cardano is just going to be different, I, I don't, I don't see that as decentralized. Where, you know, Bitcoin, which you were talking about, John, is decentralized. It is a hundred percent decentralized. If, if 50 people get together, I don't care what 50 people they are, and decide we're changing Bitcoin, go ahead. Good point of information. Point of yeah. information. So we have what's point called information. blockchain. Yeah, uh, 51% attacks. So all of the nodes that – and this is where it's unreasonable to think that it could happen, but it's still possible. John mentioned okay. that 100 – something thousand nodes are running around the world. A lot of that are miners, right? They're actually validating nodes as well as mining cryptocurrency. If if the majority of them are owned by China, which they are, and those people decided they were going to fork Bitcoin, right, and create Bitcoin Cash or something else, they could. But it, it takes a lot of cooperation to do that. So it's more resilient than a bank. But then the, the other bit of this is that like the legacy financial system, the top 1% of Bitcoin holders, hodlers, control 50% of the cryptocurrency or 50% or more of the Bitcoin that's out there. So it's just the, the same legacy financial system, but now we have unregulated crypto mafia guys who own most of the Bitcoin, right? That includes banks and includes some of the early adopters. So th there is this, like, we it is more resilient, but then the same six guys who code the Bitcoin blockchain if they decided they wanted to fork it, not that they're gonna, but if they decided to, there's nothing stopping them. There's no, there's no contract between you, me, other holders, and the the accountability that we require. So even Cardano, uh, Quant, all of these these layer one protocols and and blockchains, they're really not distributed in terms of governance, right? There's no accountability. We're talking about trustless systems, but there's no, um, you know. The truth is, somebody could go and change the code and screw us all. Is really what it comes See, down. Yeah, I don't agree on Bitcoin though, because we get all this stuff about well, you know, there's so many mining pools or whatever. But those mining pools are still made up of individual miners, and those miners have the ability right. to migrate at will anywhere. And as far as the people that hold the majority of Bitcoin, could they tank the price of Bitcoin? Well, you know, what they can do to tank the price of Bitcoin is dump it. Go ahead. We'll buy it, and after the right. dumpster, exactly. they will have it. And then, so basically you're saying that this guy can cut his own dick off to spite us, right? Like, he might, but <laughs> I really don't think it's a good idea. 
In the end, he'll bleed. I won't. <laughs> right, right. But but for a fact, that strategy, that strategy was underway in 2016 when all the banks were trying to buy as much Bitcoin as they could. And then they found out really quickly that they weren't going to be able to get enough to do exactly what we were talking about. But I know yeah. for a fact that that was a strategy. So there have been attempts, but it's like the rock monster. You can't get rid of it. And it's proven a model that will work. So the so decentralization does create resiliency. And that, for us agorists, super important. But for investors that are coming into the space, everybody's so desperate to make so much money now because they need to get free of the system. I mean, John, this is like the whole premise of what you're talking about is like get wealthy and exit and build, right? We all are trying to get out of this system by trying to win at this system. And that's the fucking fallacy is like we have to redefine the system at, at, at the structural level. And that's where the, the right developers, the right teams could really make a difference here in the blockchain space. I think one of the benefits that Bitcoin has going for it over Ethereum and Cardano is that the creator disappeared. And what a wonderful service he did for all of us, because Vitalik Buterin, I mean, God bless the guy. He's uh, like a little super genius. If a lot of people aren't familiar in the history of Ethereum, after the first DAO is a DAO token, D-A-O, I invested in it. And it was going to create this smart contract where people could do business and have, you know, DeFi, the early, early phases of this. Uh, somebody hacked the smart contract and robbed millions of dollars. Um, Hawk probably knows the exact amount. And then Vitalik Buterin and, and $60 million worth of Ethereum tokens and Vitalik Buterin and a, you know, and a group of, of developers and miners, they came in and they rolled back the blockchain. To make that as though it never happened. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, the people that were robbed were really happy about that. But there's a lot of people that are like, hey, man, these are supposed to be immutable blockchains. Immutable exactly. There was a fork for Ethereum Classic, but that never really took off too much, although it's still, you know, it's still up there in value. But when you have a key figure like Vitalik Buterin or Charles Hoskinson, who is the creator of, of Cardano, even though it's decentralized in essence when there's a company or a big powerful foundation behind it it's not as as decentralized and, and free of of intervention as other coins are Correct. like bitcoin for example well i think of ethereum right now to... like they're burning bitcoin who the fuck decided they could just burn bitcoin right, right. like there was no plan 3 years ago to burn bitcoin now, like, oh, you know what? We have too much Ethereum. Or, I'm sorry to burn Ethereum. We have we have too much Ethereum. Yep. Let's burn some and let's let's make it deflationary. I think the actual number of times that Ethereum has changed their monetary policy is five. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure they've changed their monetary <laughs> policy five times, right? Like, yep. so it's. Yep. I've always said with Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever he or they may be, the the second best thing that Nakamoto did for Bitcoin or, or for the world was leave and disappear. The, fir the first best thing was make Bitcoin, but the second best thing in the world was he left. He went away. Yeah. Well, it's important so to note it's not perfect. Cryptocurrency is not perfect. It's just a hell of a lot better than anything else we got. It's there in you Michael go. Saylor's that's work. A, that's it's one the one apex of the predator. Statements. Yep, that's the one apex of the best predator of finance. <laughs> so in my talk today, I said... You want to know how Solana, uh, Cardano, Quant, all of these are, are not decentralized and actually threat to the system? Because none of them have had to escape and evade capture by a gang of Somalian pirates in Switzerland. None of them <laughs> has had to 
uh, avoid uh, assassination attempt. And none of them have had $160 million of their crypto stolen and been told on the phone, never stick your neck out again, boy, like I have. Because if you build a system that truly decentralizes the power structure and really puts the power of finance, like the World Bank, in the hands of the owners, all of us, the people of the earth, then that becomes a threat to the system. All of that these guys are doing are coming up with new and more clever ways for people to make more money to, to, to try to get out of this game. And unless we fix the game from a very fundamental level, it's going to be the same bullshit with more and more advanced techniques of doing so. That's my soapbox. Hmm. What else? You said you had some insights on how more is centralized than we think. Is, is that what we're talking about now? Or are there other phenomenons you want to cover? Yes. So the the founder of Signal came out with a uh, a little rant that he did. I was on Twitter and I saw it on Facebook um, where he was basically he created an NFT and he's like, look, I'm going to analyze Web3. I'm going to analyze this decentral world, NFTs, all of this. And he, again, he created Signal, right? One of the, the most well, quote unquote, most well encrypted uh, messaging apps. That, that's debatable, but either way. So he creates a series of NFTs that he is at the able to, at the, at the code level, alter. So it shows up on one site looking one way, on another site looking a different way, basically demonstrating that, you know, there is no immutability and, um, and transparency of this whole like NFT market. And not, and so, so much so that I think it was either Rarible or OpenSea, like, canceled his account, just destroyed his NFT and kicked him off, right? Something that they're not supposedly allowed to or able to do. And it, it, it kind of put the, the, the illusionary bubble, you know, that this is all distributed technology kind of on blast. And not only that, but there's two companies that deal with, um, I, I think it's Infura and Alchemy. And these are two companies who have centralized web servers. And anytime your MetaMask wallet or your Trust wallet um, go and interface with the Ethereum blockchain or any other, they're run through one of these two companies, which are centralized companies, which if their servers go down, all your NFTs disappear and all of your wallets like MetaMask and all of these other companies disappear. So he put this on blast and it hasn't really rippled in the community as big as it should, but it shows from an operational security standpoint that some of these they have weak points in their decentralization. And I'm not trying to like say, okay, so throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm just saying like, these are things that people who are in this industry and who are investing in this industry or building need to be aware of. Right. Yeah. And it's still early on. So, you know, 100% covering the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses, but nonetheless, even if MetaMask connected through this centralized server, and then that server went down. As long as you have your private keys, you'd still be able to access those NFT tokens, right? Bingo. Yes, yes, you could. Um, it depends on which uh, which site that you get the NFTs from or store them on. But yes, you would have your own NFTs in your in your wallet so long as you kept the the, the keys as well as your crypto, not just NFTs. I've never done any NFTs. I'm, I'm, Sal's going to come on my little meet the experts thing I do for the Live Free Academy members on Thursday. And I'm going to buy one. I've never, I, I don't know. I just, I'm too busy to even mess with it. I see the opportunity there. I, you know, I think really what NFTs, that's non fungible token for folks that are just learning about all this stuff. It's basically like a token that has unique properties, right? So unlike a fungible currency, which there aren't very many, Monero, I guess I would say, would be one, and Pirate Chain, 
fungible means none of the tokens or the currency is is it's indistinguishable from one another. Right? They're all you can't tell which one it was or where where it was where it's been. They're all unique or they're all. How, what's the what am I trying to say here? One of a kind. They're one of a kind, one of and a you kind. can store data. Yeah, you can store data on them. You can do really interesting things uh, from like a bureaucratic level for like yeah, local government with like permits and licenses. You can actually follow the chain of custody of each of the NFTs and add data to it. Right now, people are using them for artwork or uh, securities. Like, hey, and buy my NFTs, and I'll give you a percent of all my income as I make it. But, like artists are doing this to raise money for building their albums. So there's a lot of really amazing use cases for them, um, and and they are the, the they're the hottest. They are the new cryptocurrency in the sense that everybody's investing in them. Young kids. 15, 20 years old are, are buying and selling and, and making more money than their parents just with some like JPEGs. There's people that are flipping them too, buying them for cheaper and then listing them for 5, 10, 20 X and just making it. Yep. Bank. Yep. I hope There's they're not. There's a lot of bullshit in the NFT market too, though, right now. And totally. It's, it's, totally. I don't think we've developed the technology to where it's bullshit proof at uh, all. Because like, here's nope. a scam I could run. I could have, let's say I have a couple million dollars worth of Ethereum. Not saying I do, but let's just say I have two million dollars worth of Ethereum. <laughs> and so I, I take a picture of my ass and I call it, you know, Jack's ass. It's one of a kind and I NFT it and then I sell it to myself for two million dollars worth of Ethereum. I'm out the fees, right? But I've just officially shown that my NFT of a picture of my hairy butt sold for $2 million on the NFT marketplace, right? And then I'm like, exactly. you know what? I really need some money, guys. This is a $2 million NFT, and I need money now. So I'll sell it for, you know, 200 k right? And, and shit right, like right, that right. is happening, and it's also being 100%. used to collateralize, like, rollouts of other cryptos. Like, there's – I love yeah. the technology as a thing, but to me – and I don't even understand some other simpler shit, like – what prevents me from NFTing, you know, this friggin' cartridge adapter right here on four different blockchains? What, what prevents that? I don't know that anything That's does. Correct. We need regulation. Correct. We, need, we don't need regulation, yeah, but we need fail-safes. We need fail-safes. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's the same thing as the crypto space in the beginning, right? It's like the buyer beware right now. And I think that's part of what our, our job here is to do is to, is to tell buyer beware, like, the, the A, they are not immutable. B, they are scams, like huge NFT scams right now. Um, and, and you touched on one of them. It's like you could, it's, it's like, um, for tax evasion. People are using them for tax evasion and now, you know, money laundering themselves, buying their own NFTs from themselves and then going and, and making more money on it. And like, a oh, lot that's, of that's also brilliant, right? Can I, could I do this X? I NFT this, this cartridge adapter. And I sell it to myself for five million dollars, and then I sell it back to myself for three million dollars. <laughs> I still have all the ether, right, or cosmos right. or whatever I did it on. But then right. I say I have a, a freaking loss of two million dollars, right? Now Correct. we're talking. Or you, or you. Well, now I see a way to use the scam to good, right? Like, <laughs> right. There you go. There you go. In, in you, you buy it for three million dollars from yourself, and then you go and donate it to a nonprofit and say, "This is worth three million dollars." You see, somebody bought it for that, and then you get to write off that three million dollars. 
That's what happened in the crypto. That, I mean, that's what art is for. What? The fucking art industry. Who's channeling their so, Dr. Evil right now and going $1 billion? Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, but this happened in the art world, right? So, like, I make an art piece. No, no, no. I'm a millionaire, let's say. And I go to my art friend and I say, hey, would you, you know, do some avant-garde art for me? Maybe your Worrell or whatever. Um, and then I say, sure, great. And I pay you a thousand bucks. And then I go to my auditor friend who, who gauges and judges artwork. And I say, you know, I need a valuation of a hundred thousand on this painting. I paid a thousand dollars for it. The art valuer says, yeah, it's a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars. Then I take that art and I go donate it. And that's the tax write off. That's been being done in art for like decades, right? So they just became more efficient with that's these NFTs. I know. Sounds like yep. Tony never there. I had an art dealer tell me this. Nice. Well, nobody has any problems with anyone gaming the IRS, that's for sure. You know, I think a good rule of thumb right. in this whole crypto thing is that, like, you know, a lot, we've been in the space for quite some time, and a lot of people are just now getting involved. And I think it would really benefit people to just abandon the whole get rich quick thing with crypto. And that's not very wise anyway for building wealth, the whole get rich quick, yep. you know? Uh, it, it's a, it's a long game. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And okay, I'm a hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. Now let's go up. back to the Here Reddit community. Give it some, uh, <clears throat> now that was what a the? decentralized way of people to communicate around the system while being plugged into the system using technology to just give it to them, right? Finally got ahead using the low tech because we figured out a different way to put it together. And I mean, the that is decentralization, right? Using the tech you have. Yeah, uh, uh, GameStop, right? Yeah, but the challenge still is like folks are trying to get rich quick and only the savvy people sold at the top. I'm sure a lot of kids held on to the stock as it dropped and then they lost their asses off. You know, it's just like well, okay, so money. I didn't get in on the game. I mean, the ones that made all. money in Wall Street bets, you know, the ones that really made the money, they were the ones that instigated the bullshit. And then they bought the futures contracts and they, they topped it out and they shot it all the way to the fucking bottom on the short yeah. side. Yeah. That's who yeah. made the money in that. There are people that made tens, twenties of millions of dollars on that. And that's what they did. They traded futures by manipulating the plebes basically mm. into pumping the stock and then dumping the yep. stock. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. Well, let's keep hitting on some of these. Somebody asked about DeFi. So let's talk about decentralized finance. So, you know, on Ethereum was the first blockchain. Essentially, you had Bitcoin blockchain, all these nodes, this distributed public ledger. And then Vitalik Buterin and a handful of others came along and they're like, this blockchain technology is really special. What if we make it so people can program code and make applications and programs and software instead of running it on AWS servers, for example, or on Microsoft, we run this software on a decentralized supercomputer. And that's what smart contracts are essentially. It's a code that's written into the blockchain. And instead of having a contract that's like on paper between me and Jack, and if Jack doesn't uphold his end of the bargain, then we got to go to court or figure out some sort of arbitration. It's going to be difficult to enforce. The enforcement mechanism is written into the code. And, and unless, a, B, unless A and B happen, C and D don't happen, right? And so that's what a smart contract is. And there's multiple different uses for it. And, and one of them is this concept of decentralized finance. 
which is essentially much of the stuff that people take for granted with centralized finance, like lending and earning interest, borrowing money and paying interest, uh, derivatives, insurance, uh, a stockbroker to go into a company or a bank or a service, uh, Klaus or not Klaus Schwab, Schwab or whatever fidelity. (laughs) Don't go to him. Um, now you can do many of those mechanisms on the blockchain. And I personally have put up some crypto as collateral and used it to pay my house, right? So you put up the crypto to the smart contract, then you borrow against it. You earn interest on what you supply to the smart contract and you pay interest on what you borrow. But that usually almost cancels out to where I was paying like a 1% interest rate, 0.2% interest rate. So I did that to pay for my house. I did that to pay for the down uh, down payment on my solar panels. I did that to pay for the down payment on my Tesla Model 3. And I paid it back. I was a good steward because there's no... There's no schedule for most of these. You just pay it back on your own time. And then once you pay it did back, you do that it's your crypto back. On which platform? On which platform? On Ethereum or did you do it on Nexo? Like there's, there's a lot it. of great opportunity. I did it on Ethereum using Compound. These are called dApps, decentralized applications. And I got to yeah. tell you, you know, it, the, the, the fees. So if you, if you, if I were to just send, you know, 0.5 Ether to Hawk, I'd probably pay like 20 to $30 in gas fees. But the fees to do decentralized finance and smart contract shenanigans, it's sometimes it's like a hundred bucks, 130 bucks. So you really got to just be patient and time it or make bigger things. Like I was borrowing 5,000, 6,000 at a time. So the hundred dollar fee is less substantial than if you were doing 500 and paying a hundred, which is like 20%. But it really represents a lot of opportunity, especially for folks that have a good stash of crypto. Because let's say you have a good stash of crypto and then you have a baby and you want to add a new bedroom to the house. And this is going to cost $150,000 where you got $300,000 worth of crypto or $400,000. If you were to cash that out and you bought it when it was like worth $30,000, now it's worth $300,000, you have to pay some serious capital gains, right? And a lot of people talk about agorism and stuff. But in reality, it's pretty hard to move a lot of crypto without that amount you're not doing it because you're converting it to fiat right so then you're gonna you're gonna leave a trail that you're gonna have to account for or they're gonna get you maybe not today they'll probably wait three years to get you so they can slap interest and penalties on it and now you're either they own you for the rest of your life or you're going to club fed yeah so with 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 DeFi, instead of just selling it and using it then you got to pay capital gains you can borrow against it. And because you're lending yourself money, it's not a taxable event. It's super freaking groovy. So there's that benefit. And then it's like you can store your money and wealth in a uh, finite cryptocurrency that is most likely going to go up. It's deflationary rather than inflationary. Uh, and so you can store wealth there and you can still gain access to that capital in order to live your life or in order to do projects. And my aspiration is to stack so much crypto that I can use this DeFi thing to buy freaking properties and tiny homes. I got a little ways to go, but there's no reason why we can't pool our big crypto resources together. Like, go to some of these folks that were crypto millionaires when Bitcoin was a hundred bucks. I w- that always blows my mind. Like, there's <laughs> folks that are like Roger Ver, for example. That guy's old school. He was in, he was a crypto millionaire way early on, and now it's like forty three thousand. Who freaking knows how loaded that guy? He's super generous with his stuff, by the way. He sponsored our Greater Reset. He sponsors a lot of our stuff. Really great guy. Total anarchist. 
But uh, yeah, that's that's one of the mechanisms of DeFi. And then you have these decentralized exchanges where you don't have to do KYC. And it's just people providing liquidity to a particular pair. And there's a lot of a lot of opportunity for, for this. It seems like it kind of got uh, covered up by the popularity of NFTs, right? Everyone's talking about DeFi a few months ago, and everyone's talking about NFTs and stuff. But really, which is actually to our benefit. Why? Because the masses are all going to go blow up the NFT stuff while we're here changing the world with DeFi? Exactly. So what you just talked about, I think, is one of the most powerful uh, tools that the whole ecosystem has managed to, to come up with is the ability to earn greater amount of interest on your stake um, assets, right? That, that, that I was saying that there's this uh, app and company called Nexo where it does automated lending, right? So you, you, you can stake your coins, but you can also, like, like you probably did, take a loan out. Now, they're, I think, a more centralized version of, of what you're talking yes. about. But there are, yeah, there are pools where you can get, like, huge returns uh, by, by enabling trading pairs, right, um, doing liquidity pools. And basically what you're doing is you're keeping your money there or your, your different cryptos and letting it accrue in value while yeah. it's being used to, to, to provide loans to other people as collateral without, without risking the actual asset. So it's, those it's are margin loans, money basically, you, right? right? Those those are margin loans, basically. That's not that's not like borrowing money to pay for an upgrade in your house or whatever. Those higher returns are from I'm loaning John money. I don't know it's John. I'm putting it into this pool, but basically I'm loaning money so John can trade on margin. Now he's fully collateralized, so I'm not going to lose if he if he blows up. I get my money back. But the reason those interest rates are high mm-hmm. is because they're used for short-term trading. Yeah, a lot right? of people like mm-hmm. margin on a typical stock trade is like 7.5%, but you can borrow money for your house at like 2. Right? Yeah, so like yeah. So it's le- and it's way leveraged up in crypto. Like some of the stuff is, you know, pools are paying 20 freaking percent or more. Uh, yeah, can I yeah. pull this up, Jack? I want to show yeah. some of these rates just so people can see. Like, another cool new phenomenon in crypto. Well, it's not that new, but now everyone's talking about it. Is uh, what's called a stable coin. So that's a cryptocurrency that's pegged to the price to the value of the dollar. For example, there's also wrapped Bitcoin, which is pegged to the value of Bitcoin. And so this is a website, DeFiRate.com. And these are the lending rates. Now, Compound and Aave, these right here, I believe, are all DeFi, meaning it's decentralized finance. BlockFi and Nexo, like Hawk was talking about, and Celsius, this is a company that's providing these services. But as you can see, you can take, so let's say you got 20000 bucks sitting in the bank earning 0.02% or whatever. Or if it's a money market, maybe you're lucky earning 0.2%, which is never going to really make much of a difference. You take it, you purchase one of these stable coins pegged to the U.S. dollar. You mitigate the risk of all of the crazy price, right, and the volatility. And so you come over here and you lend it to Nexo and you get eight freaking percent. Like that's that's at least outpacing what they say is inflation. I, I bet inflation is more than eight percent, but still. Or you could keep it in the DeFi world where you don't have to trust Nexo. I should say these companies are pretty damn trustworthy, um, but you never know. And you get 2.85%, which is still pretty phenomenal, right? So this is lending these crypto assets. You can even lend your Bitcoin to these CFI ones for 
4.5 to 6.2 percent. And it's kind of like making making it look really silly to use traditional banking stuff. So this is if you're lending, meaning you're supplying your money and then other people that are utilizing the smart contract or the CFI service are then going to borrow the money. And then if you wanted to borrow, if you got some crypto, some of these places don't even make you put crypto up as collateral. The CFI don't. The DeFi definitely do so they can keep their thing, you know, working with integrity. But these are the borrow rates here. So 4.44, 3.89. Uh, 3.53, negative 2%. Wow. That's so pay you to take it. <laughs> I want it all. Let's go. <laughs> and I think the next, so like some of these guys, they don't, these are the ones that don't require you to put up collateral. I don't know if they do a credit check. That's another thing. If your credit is shot, but you're sitting on a stash of crypto, there's definitely no background check or credit check or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. On the next side, you have to put in a number of coins, let's say. And then okay. you can actually yeah. like 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 let's say you put in ten thousand dollars worth of XRP, right? Then mm-hmm. you can get like seven thousand dollars worth of a loan, and they tra- and and they control it so that if the price goes down, they'll automatically like garnish your. They start your liquidating crypto. your ass, is what they do. Exactly. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, That's the, the biggest risk. risk in in the DeFi or the CFI. So with Compound, what I used, there's a seventy five percent collateralization ratio. Which means if I put up a hundred thousand dollars worth of Ethereum, and I borrow seventy-five thousand dollars worth of stable coins, and then a week goes by and the value of that Ethereum now drops to ninety-five thousand, another player in this decentralized space comes in and liquidates my contract. They purchase my uh, my collateral. And then I get to keep yep. my 75% stable coin, but I lose my original collateral. So the tip right. is right. make sure that you're not getting anywhere close to that 75% collateralization ratio. And as I've been right. doing it, I started off with just a stash of Ethereum and I borrowed against it. But now I have Ethereum, I have wrapped Bitcoin, and I have some stable coins in there to kind of make it a little more of a conservative thing to, yeah. to uh, level out some of the volatility that goes in there. So. Don't be stupid. If you're doing it for the first time, start really small. Like, don't go in and take out a $50,000 loan or something crazy. Just start small so you can get a feel for it and make sure you're conservative. I think that's a good idea for wealth in general. Be conservative, but be persistent. Don't go, you know, the more risk, the more reward. But we're not in this for a quick win. I mean, some people may be. I'm in this for the long haul, personally. So... Well, I mean, think of it this way, John. Let's say I wanted to buy a piece of property for 200 grand and I had a million dollars worth of crypto. I would have a loan to value ratio of 20%. I'm probably pretty safe. Yeah. Right. Especially if I went in right now, well, the market's already retracted, right? Um, and then I still have my crypto at the end of the day and I pay the loan back, which I would have had to do if I took it from a bank. Yeah. But I also have no income where if I sold 20% of my crypto, it's gone. Right. And I'm paying tax. tax. And it's gone. But this is another reason why we need, this is another reason we need stable coins, right? That people miss because people think, well, it's just good for trading. So like I dump some Bitcoin because it's really high and I want to buy it back and I want to hold something stable in the middle. So it's a stable coin. Totally valid. Original reason it came out. Absolutely. But in these loan relationships, what I don't want to do, I don't want to borrow Bitcoin. I don't give a fuck what the interest rate is. If I have long-term debt, let's say five-year debt on a car, I don't want to borrow Bitcoin and have to pay back Bitcoin plus interest. I want to leverage Bitcoin and borrow dollars that are that are inflationary, right? Because 
even if Bitcoin were to stay level over that period, but inflation, real inflation is somewhere in the neighborhood of 15%, I'm ahead 15% per annum by borrowing against it and not liquidating my position. Yeah. But we, you, like, my concern for the whole market space is there is so much leverage on leverage on leverage on leverage on leverage. And I think someday there's going to be this <laughs> big ass day of reckoning and it's going to be really bloody for a time. Yeah. And my other concern is, and this, I guess, comes into our discussion with decentralization. I believe that a lot of these altcoins are not decentralized by anybody's definition who's honest. And I think we're looking at regulation coming in this year. Correct. And I think a shitload of these Cardanos, right? I and mean, I'm not just picking on Cardano, just like things like that are going to have a reckoning and the government's going to go, actually, you are a security. And I don't think they're going to like totally nuke everything because it's now you take Bitcoin out at a trillion dollar market cap. It's a one and a half trillion dollar space. Unless you want to cut your own dick off again, you really can't just kill that. But I think they're going to come in with some sort of like middle ground. Okay, you're not a security like Dow Jones, NASDAQ, but here's all the things you're going to have to do to comply and, and fit under this new umbrella. And they'll probably give them a number of years to adapt to that. And when they do, I think, you know, the 90% of altcoins that are garbage are done. They're gone. And I totally. think that's a good thing long term because a lot of them are crap. I mean, a lot of crypto really is has no use case scenario. It's not necessary. We don't need 800 versions of Cosmos, Cardano, all go right. We don't like we only need a couple. And so the ones to me that have put aside dollars, as horrible as that sounds in the crypto space, and have a war chest, they're when they're like, okay, you have like five million dollars you have to put up in you know uh compliance bullshit. They're gonna have the money and they're gonna be able to survive. But the question is how many of them have done this? Like you have, you know, altcoin XYZ, so I'm not picking on Hoskins anymore. And the whole purpose of that is so there's like 900 freaking other projects underneath there in their ecosystem and they can't do it and they all start nuking themselves and they all start going away. Now what's the purpose of this thing? What does it do now? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it's just, it's market and, the, and I hope the cool thing, well, I'm sure this is how it'll pan out. Unlike the banks and the housing crisis, they're, these crypto companies aren't going to get a government bailout. You know, they're going to be happy to see them go. And just like you're saying, I'd be happy to see him go, too. There's like 9,000 freaking cryptocurrencies out there, and 98% of them should be avoided like the plague. I agree. Now, what's going? your your pirate chain's not faring too well in the market these days, yeah. old Jack. Yeah. Why is yeah. that? I mean, the technology still works, though. It's still private. It's still useful for, for what it's, its intended use is. But You know, if you bought it like I did at 8 cents, you're pretty happy. <laughs> That's right. You know, you're pretty happy right now. If you bought it at 12 bucks during the Jeff Berwick pump, you're maybe not as happy. Um, I you guys think know what that pirate is right now? I have no Geese? idea. Goose? That is a goose, yeah, right up yeah. there. Oh, There's wow. a goose right up there. Yeah. Our he knows. Oh, shit, it is a goose. Nice. <laughs> it is really a goose. That's but, amazing, um, huh? All right, sorry. He doesn't give a fuck. But I, I think what hurts Pirate more than anything else right now is listing on exchanges, right? Huh. So, like, the only exchange they're on that has, like, instant liquidity and anybody can use it and it just works is CoinX, and they're not that big. 
Like, I think if, if Pirate was on Binance or Bitrix or something like that, that, that it would be a, a much more valuable token, but it is completely private. And yep. I mean, one thing I'll say for them is like what I just said about like a lot of these projects going away when this regulation comes out. One thing they did that was very smart is they took some of their money and they invested it in a lawyer or a team of lawyers actually that, that came up with a whole, they're already ready. They already have a brief as to why they're fully decentralized. As to why, you know, there was no pre-mine, there's no allocation, it was a fair launch. It basically is a Bitcoin clone in a way. Now, I have some concerns about it truly being decentralized because I understand how it works with the Komodo validators, which we don't really need to get into. But overall, I mean, I like it. I love the fact that we can transact completely privately. Yes. But I think the, the biggest suppression in price is they're not on any major exchanges. Jack, they're, they're on KuCoin now, KuCoin, which isn't major, major, but it's it's better medium. It's a mid-level exchange. Yeah, that's a good yeah, one too. Those are, that are KuCoin. Privacy. They don't do KYC and stuff. Yeah. You can't go from dollars to get your crypto, but if you put some Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash in there, Correct. you'll be able to keep higher chain privately. Well, here's a clever way of doing it, right? So let's say you go to Coinbase. So uh, there's a fallacy about Tether, right? Tether. Is like, oh, there's enough dollars to back the, the, the price of Tether, but there's not. Like, there's, there is not like $40 billion worth of dollars behind Tether right now. Um, and the auditing team that, that was responsible for validating, yes, that this is worth that has quit, right? So there's some FUD around there. And then USDC is Coinbase's coin, right? So these are two of the big stable coins that are out, stable coins that are out there. Now, so, so you just need to be aware of that, that like some, you know, tectonic shift could happen and tank tether. If that were to happen, it would ripple through the whole market and, and terrify everybody, right? It would have repercussions that we can't just like, we can't imagine all of them right now. That being said, um, here's a clever way of, uh, of buying, storing, and either representing or not representing your crypto tax-wise. You go to Coinbase, buy your, your coins, into Tether. And then you take Tether coins and you go to KuCoin or CoinX or any of these other exchanges where you don't need to KYC, right? And then you get, you trade your Tether for whatever those coins are, and then you put those coins in a cold storage wallet. And when you need to cash out, you go from your cold storage wallet back to the exchange, back into Tether, out of Coinbase. Because then you're not showing any gains or losses, right? Okay. But it's it's Tether the whole time? Sorry, I missed part of that. I was messing with something over here. No, you get your Tether and then you go from Tether to whatever coin you really want. Like you like whenever you're going from or from fiat into crypto or from crypto into fiat, do it through Tether, because then there's no um there's no fluctuation in price. There you go. Yeah, and that's one of the big benefits of the old yay old stable coins. Somebody earlier in the comments was asking how do you find payback terms on these loans? And the beauty, this was something that puzzled me, but I finally figured it out. Like a lot of the DeFi platforms, there are no payback terms. You just, you just don't get your collateral back until you pay the loan back. You make up the terms on your own, which has potential for individuals to do irresponsible actions. So like I said, make sure you have the discipline. You know, if you take out a, a mortgage or a car loan, then that you better make your payments on time or you're going to get penalized or you're going to default on the loan. That doesn't exist with the DeFi stuff. 
So you just got to make sure that you're being a responsible steward of your cryptocurrency and your collateral. Now, some of the C5, of course, they'll will, they will likely have terms, but just something to consider. And, you know, there's not a lot of risk for these DeFi contracts because you put up the collateral and it's, it's over collateralized. So you have more collateral than you take out on loans. So it's really pretty cool. Another thing that I thought was pretty cool, like with the Ethereum blockchain, a block, the blockchain gets updated every 10 seconds. And so these interest rates are recalculated every 10 seconds based on market mechanisms. How much is in demand? What coin is in demand here? What coin is in demand? Uh, what people are borrowing? If, if they, if a bunch of people want to borrow a particular coin, but there's not a lot that's lended, then the interest rate for lending goes up. And it, it recalculates every 10 seconds, and it's totally market algorithms, which I think is pretty freaking cool. It's not the Fed that's just arbitrarily right. taking rates and all that stuff. It's reality. Right, cool. Let's hit uh, let's hit a couple more crypto things, and let's move on from crypto. Um, uh, Hawk, do you want to talk about DAOs? What a decentralized autonomous organization is, and, and why it's a pretty big deal. Sure. So this goes into governance and, and is essentially the whole um, the, the the real reason for a company like Firon. So in a DAO, Firon.com, uh, in a DAO, there is no central governing authority. Code enables all of us to make decisions together and come to consensus. Ostensibly, that's the that's the purpose of it. And you could do such things with a DAO as have like a taxi service owned by itself like you can automate a corporation using a DAO there's another uh, a real great use case for it is like the Miami DAO um, who've asked me to run their their DAO or to, and to host it on Firon and that is to to distribute uh, donations that are given to the people of Miami and everybody gets to vote on who and how and why it gets spent on where and that's ultimately the, the, the premise of Firon so you could take a corporation like a taxi service and totally automate it and have it just purchase its own through smart contracts, purchase its own taxis and, you know, get uh, get the cars serviced and stuff and literally turn a corporation into a robot. And that's one way of using a DAO. And another way is to enable all of us to make decisions together um, through consensus modeling and voting. And uh, that's that's really what DAOs are, are valuable for. And they're, they're sort of like a hot button term like Web 3.0 and and NFTs and, and metaverse right now, and people don't fully grasp what they're capable of doing, right? And so it really comes down to distributed governance and for us to be able to truly decentralize ownership of a thing, like a corporation. Yeah, yeah and there's uh, Wyoming. They're very cryptocurrency friendly. They recently yes. passed legislation that recognizes DAOs as a legal entity. So there's actually a city, I think they're calling it City DAO, where they're coming in and people are purchasing plots of land with Ethereum uh, and they're getting these DAO tokens. And I guess the implication is that the city, instead of being governed by a city council, is going to be governed by the people that are stakeholders and landowners in the geographic area. It's pretty freaking cool. There's somebody here close to me in Texas in Dripping Springs, just west of us. They're doing the same project, but the, an individual, it's not as sophisticated because Texas's laws haven't caught up. An individual purchased land, he's going to give the land to an LLC, and then the LLC will be the legal entity on the books, 
But I guess in the LLC's operating documents, it'll state that the DAO is the decision maker or the governance model. So it's pretty wild. Another cool implication for that, like I, I did business with the Dash DAO. Dash is a cryptocurrency. They used to say it was a privacy coin, but it's not really a privacy coin. And uh, they have uh, what's called a treasury. So you have nodes where you host the blockchain or you mine. But then they had master nodes where you put up like 10,000 Dash or 1,000 Dash. And those master nodes are able to vote on treasury disbursements. So every block, money gets allocated to a treasury. And then individuals like myself, you go and you put a proposal and you put the proposal on the blockchain. And the master nodes vote on it. And then if they approve your proposal, like we put a proposal together to sponsor the stage at Brave New Books, this underground liberty conspiracy bookstore I used to operate for a couple of years. And it passed. And the cool thing I always share as an agorist is I was paid by a DAO. There's no law requiring a DAO to fill out a 1099 or anything on anyone. So, I mean, there may be in the future, right, especially as Wyoming and places start to legitimize this, which has its pros and cons. But I always thought that was pretty cool. I was literally doing business with a blockchain, with a decentralized blockchain. I thought that was pretty freaking cool. So, okay. On the vein Real of, quick on that, like an application for a DAO would be this. Okay, I can't think of the guy's name now, but the guy that created Shapeshift, whoever the hell he – I can't remember his Eric name. Voorhees. Yeah, Voorhees, right? So inside the infrastructure bill, basically everything is going to be KYC in the future. Like they're, they're KYC in every exchange you're going to have to to stay in business. And he's like, yeah, we don't want to do that. So they're dissolving the corporation that is Shapeshift into a DAO. And is it legal or whatever to say we're not going to do it because we're a DAO? I don't know, but Voorhees is basically like, go ahead, stop it, do something about it. Like, I don't have any legal obligation to do anything to you because I don't own it. It's not mine. I have a token that says I get a say. But it's not mine. And they're actually moving all their, well, all the employees that are willing to stay on board, which is like from the interview I listened to him with uh, Peter McCormack was like one of their employees said, no, I'm out. Everybody else is like, I'm in. I believe in what we're doing. I will take my compensation through the Dow as a, a stakeholder exactly. in it. And they're like, fuck you. We're not doing this shit. It's over and done. It's a Dow. And I can be off and say, what, Neo, Mexico, or down at Bitcoin City in El Salvador or whatever. And the Dow runs whether I'm there or not. So I, I, I don't own anything. I, and there's no, it's, it, it turns an entity into sort of like a pseudo Bitcoin. And that the reason that all this shit exists, if government in 2012, once they figured out what Bitcoin was, could have shut it down, they would have. And if there was a building with a big orange B on top of it, they would have cruise missiled that motherfucker if they had to to shut it down. But there isn't one. Yeah. There's no place to go to do this. And that's kind of what DAOs are like. Like, it, it, I think even once you establish a DAO, well, like, okay, so, John, you're the head guy in the DAO. We'll prove it. We'll prove it. Like, it's a token. Maybe I gave it to Brian. Right? Maybe Brian's the head guy. I don't know. Maybe I lost it. I, I I don't know. I can't. But, I mean, he was flat out like, this is what we're doing, and we're never, ever going to ask our customers for their information. I love it. That dude's a badass. He's old school. And him, like Roger Ver. He's OG, man. 
they're deep into crypto and then they're totally philosophical anarchists and they do their best to live that life. Like Roger Ver rescinded his freaking, he got put in prison for a couple years for selling really big firecrackers, basically. Other websites sold him. Apparently it's because he like gave this speech at a libertarian party thing where he was running for office and there was an FBI or ATF agent in the audience and he was ragging on the ATF. And then they're like, we're going to prosecute this guy. And he went to jail for a year. Political and then he out, he's like, okay, I'm rescinding my citizenship and moving to Japan. F you guys. But I appreciate it. They're old school, they're crypto, and they're freaking anarchists. And they're still doing really cool shit out there in the world. All right. So, okay, before we finish, we got like 15, 20 minutes left. Let's move away from the crypto unless anybody else has anything they want to throw out there. All right, let's talk let's talk about energy. Jack, you brought up energy before, and I didn't even think about that when when I say I was prepping for the show, but literally it was like five minutes before we went on or whatever. Anyway, um I recently got solar panels. I think that's pretty cool. We're still tied into the grid. And originally I didn't want to be tied into the grid. I don't have a choice because we already had utility and there's regulations that get about that. Like if we start if you buy property and then you build a home, you can set up completely off grid. But nonetheless, I still want to have a backup, be the grid, right? So I got the solar panels and the grid. But I bought this Tesla, right? We got a Tesla Model 3, and that sucker, it's the, the solar panels, unless I'm charging it during the day, uh, it's hard to charge it at night because it'll just drain the Tesla batteries. I got three Tesla mm-hmm. Powerwalls, which are super cool, too. They can store over 40 kilowatt hours of energy. So I'm trying to find this groove where I charge the car during the day when possible, and then we drive it on our commute, we don't charge it at night because I don't want to spend the money on the electricity. I want to make sure that the power walls are still charged up, but it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty, you know, it's a pretty solid setup. We got the 4,000 watt generator. Um, I inherited it from my uncle who passed recently. I still haven't tried it out, but it's always good to have these redundant systems, right? Jack says two is one and one is none. So Jack, do you want to share just in your experience, what's some, some good, decentralized energy, decentralized food, decentralized homestead technology is so folks can keep their life. Well, you're there, right? So you have these power walls, so you're able to generate power, and assuming you can generate more power in a day than you use, then you have storage. And if it goes into the Tesla, as long as you're generating more during the day than you use in total, you've Uh lost nothing. You've moved from this battery to this battery. Yep. And see, I think this hybrid model, that's what you're using is a hybrid model. And I think it's really the way to go because not everything about centralization is bad. What's bad about centralization is if I have a switch and I can throttle you or control you, then I can manipulate you, right? And I can manipulate price and I can do all types of things to control society. But if you now have the ability to generate some of your own power, mm-hmm. then your challenge is going to be either to figure out how to generate enough that you don't need the grid or throttle you used to, you can get by without the grid. Yep. And if you can do that, like the fact that you've plugged, honestly, the way that we should be managing a system like you have, which is I'm jealous, I'll I'll admit it, um, is that you don't see your Tesla as a drain on your system. Your Tesla is another power wall. Yep. That's what your Tesla is. It's a fourth power wall. And you either can use the energy back out of the Tesla onto your house or to go down the road and, I don't know, torment Xavier, you know, what have you. But, like, everything we do with homesteading works around this decentralized model. Like, so 
A centralized model of food production is all the lettuce is grown in Texas and California. We grow almost all those two states grow like 90% of the lettuce consumed in the United States. And I don't just mean iceberg. I mean like all your salad greens, right? When I say lettuce. And so all you have this, this centralized food distribution system that has these two production meccas of California and Texas. They consolidate into warehouses and distribute to the whole United States. So you put in a hydro system, an aquaponics system, uh, a garden. Name it however you want to do it. And you grow your own lettuce. Well, now you've decentralized your lettuce consumption. Does that mean that you can't, oh, you know what? I'm having a slow week on my lettuce production. I didn't sow my thimble that uh, Thomas Jefferson said every American. Thomas Jefferson said this. Every American should sow a thimble full of lettuce seed once every two weeks. And they'll always have nutrition. They won't have calories, but they'll have nutrition, right? Um, So I didn't sow my thimble full of lettuce. So I can go down to the centralized system, and I can draw from that when I need to. But the less I draw from that, the better it is for everybody. The better it is for me, because I don't rely on it. The better it is for Brian, who's not off the grid, because I'm not now competing with him for that resource. And the better it is for the grid because it has less to serve but still plenty to serve, so it's a little bit easier for it to balance. So I I don't think we need to not have any centralization. I think the problem is being dependent upon centralization. And you mentioned the two is one, one is none. So the way that continues, though, is two is one, one is none. For me, four is more, five keeps you alive, right? So, like, the more options you have – when it comes to where I draw in from, the better off that I am. And so I, I, I this is why I coined the phrase so long ago, back in 08, modern survivalism. I don't want GPS to go away, for instance. And GPS is a very centralized technology, right? The satellites are up there. Anybody can buy a receiver. But in the end, the government could turn that ability off or things could go wrong that, that screw it up. So I think it's a good idea to be able to take a, a compass and a map and shoot an azimuth in a back azimuth and triangulate and navigate. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to do that on a daily basis. I might do that a couple times a year, get some orientation skills so that if this goes down, it's available to me. But in general, when I'm going somewhere and I don't know how to get there, I'm going to plug the address into my phone and I'm going to use the centralized system to do that. Right. And I just think creating these options where we don't always have to rely on this, or if this goes away, and this is symbolic now, of any centralized system, it's still there, whether it's the grocery store, it's actually the cell phone that it is that I'm holding up, or or any other system. And to me, that just, I don't know, it just it just makes sense. Yeah, and it's more, a lot more palatable. It's a lot more attainable. It's not overwhelming for folks, because there's some people that are out here like, Live your entire life on cryptocurrency, right? And like, you're an asshole because you have a bank account or whatever. And it's like, man, that's, I mean, I could live my life on cryptocurrency, but it would be, it would kind of suck, you know? But if you could go back to 2014 and not do that experiment, wouldn't you? (laughs) Wouldn't you rather if you hodled back then? We'd be, we'd be having this meeting and John would be on his Learjet right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So would I, by the way, to be, I'm, I'm, I'm picking on you. So if I had kept every Bitcoin that I had right now, I'd be like sitting in my Lear. John would be sitting in his Lear. Yeah. X and, X and Brian would still be sitting right where they are. We'd be like laughing and we'd be on our way to Jackson. No, dude, I'd have a hundred I'd have, I'd have a hundred and sixty million dollars. I'd be like rolling. <laughs> 
Because you can go back and see the addresses and stuff. Yeah, I don't want to do that. It hurts. Yeah. It hurts right here. <laughs> I saw the, the transaction where I sent 99 Ethereum to uh, to an Ethereum address without the oh. 0x. Oh. And so if you leave off the 0x, it goes to some address. You go look on the blockchain. You're like, holy shit, where'd that transaction go? It goes to an address that has that 0, 0, 0, 0, 0. And there's a yeah. bunch more transactions on that address, too. A bunch of fools like myself that, that made that mistake. Oh. I realize Elon like, Musk probably owns all of our freaking Bitcoin and Ether now. Ha! That's, I, I'm, a, I'm an Elon fan. I like Elon. He gets me. I didn't say anything bad. I'm just saying, like. <laughs> I get shit all the time. From the doge. <laughs> I get a lot of shit for driving. The doge shit too. is stupid. But I see, I think this is my defense of Elon with doge. It's an intelligence test. And, I, you know, people say you can't fail an IQ test. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you wow. can. And Elon keeps giving that IQ test to people. I Like, <laughs> Tesla accepts doge. You know what? Peter Schiff accepts Bitcoin. It means nothing that an entity accepts something. And by the way, for those that saw the uh, thumbnail for today's episode, that is, in fact, Peter Schiff's face (laughs) photoshopped onto Goldmember. And I did teach myself how to do that yesterday. You did that? I did that. I asked asked for like a week for somebody to do it for me. I'm like, fuck it. I guess I got to learn a skill. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Nice. Good it's pretty funny. All right. Well, we haven't heard from Brian too much. Brian, what uh, is it? My understanding, am I correct that you have like a decentralized income? You got your coffee business. You got a couple other things that you earn yes. money for a living from. Uh, right, right. Uh, okay, so I am uh, in the process of turning my coffee company into a decentralized coffee company. Actually, um, how so? so Okay, so the coffee club, right now we're getting up to Uh-oh. when we get to 100 members, I'm shutting the door on my .com to any sales to the public. I will only deal with my 100 members that I will issue an NFT to. At that point, they will have the rights to all of my production, right? Hmm. It limits my life to only having to deal with 100 humans on the planet. But it opens the door. Right now, if you're in my coffee club, you can buy for 20 bucks a pound. I sell the same coffees for 26 to 28 a pound. So you could buy all the extra you want, create art or label, and I'd ship it to you with your art or label. I can ship it out for you from here. So some people have already started to do that. As we get closer and closer to 100, those NFTs, well, it also gives you the right to come to Squatch Fast, all my events, yada, yada, all, all the other stuff, consulting services. I've been in a lot of businesses. Um, I can help people start things or make things more efficient, work better. Um, so anyway, that all, that all comes as part of it. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a real NFT. You are buying future production. So long as I roast coffee, you will have a right to it monthly. The interesting but it's also thing transferable, be, right? To- so, like, if John snoozes, doesn't ever get in your coffee club, and one day I might go to my doctor, he says, if you drink one more coffee, cup of coffee, Jack, you're going to fucking die. And I believe him. And I'm like, shit, I, I got to get out of the coffee club. I could sell yeah. my token to John, right? The value is non-fungible and transferable. So as soon as we get to the 100th, I'm going to start a waiting list, basically, 
that I will make the market. If you want to get out, Jack, we'll go to the first. We'll, we'll make an equitable way for the people on the list to get the next NFT up. If someone's like, I'm highest bidder, bitch. That's what it's right, told because, me. <laughs> the obligation, right, is you have to buy two pounds a month from me. Or if you're on the cannabinoid side, just the same thing. It's about a $40. Yeah. So the obligation to own the NFT, right, is you do business with me on a monthly basis. But you get a much preferred rate and you have an exit strategy if it takes off. And if we, well, I mean, yeah, I haven't entered my coffee and competitions yet, but people that are starting their own brands might. So anyway, it, uh, it's an interesting thing. Okay. And my other little quick thing on the whole decentralization and technology after watching. Okay. So all the sports people in the country have gone to gambling online, right? There's now billions and billions and billions of dollars in this. The big playoff game. The refs got it so wrong that the guy was literally in bounds. It was out of bounds. Everybody saw it. You can see it on every fucking TV in America. The NFL was so bad after the game. They literally suspended that entire refing crew. I think it's because they're going to start really going through bank accounts and who's been in jail and who owes who money because centralization of anything leads to points of attack, right? There's only so many ref squads. If I'm the mafia that wants to throw a game just slightly, all I have to do is get to 27 people, right? I can control hundreds of billions of dollars of revenue, and I only need to nudge that a little bit to make a lot of money. So I think in the offseason, they are going to look at that. In the So in the, in the Fan Control Football League, right, on my iPhone, as each play happens, I get to vote on calls like that. Was the guy in or out? All 8 million of us are watching that, and we press on our iPhone, in or out. You can't get to 8 million of us. You can get to 27 people. You can't get to 8 million. So, wow. Decentralized I think technology. you could also just get, like, the more people want one team to win – would be a problem. The, the so maybe that what that triggers is some that. sort of mandatory additional level of review. Like because I know what you're talking about you think it's like he's in bounds and you see the foot like this is the this is the line and here's the foot. You're like, no, no, he's got a, a whole half of that size twelve is on the outside of that line, right? You're like, no, that's not it's not a and thing. And if right? America, you know? you know, with eight like eight million people vote, right? If it's ninety nine to one the AI doesn't have to calculate shit. If it's close, then you've got to start looking at like, okay, are all the Pittsburgh fans just, uh, you know, just saying he's in because he's, but, but I think taking the decision making and you were talking about the Dow with the town, letting the people of that town be able to have a say on everything immediately yeah. in real time, because now you can, you can verify yeah. you're a single voter. You voted one time on that issue. You can't game the thing and vote for trash collector 27 times. So Yeah, and like on that, like with the Miami coin thing, see yeah. the Miami coin thing is really a Bitcoin. It's like a it's like a version of wrapped Bitcoin. It's like a fixed yeah, exchange. It's not one to one, but it's a fixed exchange. So it's just using the Bitcoin blockchain. But what they're doing really is like it's not really about having a say as much, it's more like a refund. So a lot of government, let's say parks would be one example. 
they're they're not 100% free to use. There's certain things you might pay to use as additional services or what have you, or you might have like a a, a city nature preserve, and maybe there's a $5 gate fee to get in, and they actually make a profit, right? So they're partially taxpayer-supported, but they're also supported by use revenue. And some of those actually make money. So what Miami Coin does is takes all the actual profitable things in the government that actually create a surplus and redistributes it back to the residents because much of that money doesn't come from residents. It comes from people that go into Miami and they either they, they went down to Florida because they were AOC and they wanted a glass of wine without a mask on or they were just upstate Florida and they wanted to go someplace cool and hang out on South Beach. So there's actually a lot of profit in Miami from activity like that. So what they do, kind of like Alaska distributes a dividend from their oil reserves, they're distributing a dividend from the profitable components of Miami to all citizens of Miami. Um, so it's not only donations like Rex said earlier. It's really it's 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 voluntary transactions within the city creating the surplus. Or maybe it's a tourist tax, which I'm not for, but it is what it is, right? And then all of a sudden, just by living in Miami, I'm actually getting it, and I'm getting paid in Miami coin, which can be swapped into Bitcoin. So I'm actually getting a, a Bitcoin derivative, or I'm no, sorry, Bitcoin dividend by being a Miami resident. And if you don't think that's going to not attract the population into Miami, You're crazy. So, like, sooner or later, cities like Fort Worth or Cheyenne, Wyoming or whatever, like, because, like, it's Wyoming, Florida, and Texas that are trying to be, like, the Bitcoin state. You're going to have to start competing with this. Like, you're going to have to start coming up with ways to do this. And I think that's – we'll never have perfect government. We'll never fix government. But we can have less so bad two, government. At least. 100%. That's two separate things. So, so Miami coin – is the currency yeah. that a centralized company is trying to do for not just Miami, but a bunch of different cities. And the yeah. Dow is the way that those distributions that they're proposing that those distributions gets, get sent to people. So Miami coin partnering with Miami Dow, and then the profits going in and the community deciding how that gets dispersed. That's, that's yeah. some value right there. There was a Dow that raised a bunch of money to support Ross Ulbricht. It was like free Ross Dow or something. I don't know how much they raised. It was like twenty million. Oh, they sold some NFTs. NFTs, yeah. Ross's art. Oh, yeah. Like sixteen million bucks or something crazy. I thought that was pretty freaking cool. I almost bought one just because it's Ross. Yeah. You know, that would be my first NFT I ever bought. Heck yeah. But they were really expensive, and people with more money than me bought them. Yeah, it's a good cause. Mm -hmm. All right, well, we are at the end of our time. I think this has been a great episode on a super important topic. And, you know, folks feel like they're late in the game, but really this whole decentralized technology is just going to be so prevalent in society. Not just cryptocurrency, but I think as as these systems begin to break and more people are affected by the breaking systems like that's why we went to get the solar panels it was always something we wanted to do but in february texas freaking froze and the power grid wasn't able to handle it and like the water got shut down in austin and all this crazy stuff so we're like we're getting freaking solar panels a lot more people are going to be affected by all this crazy nonsense not to mention like the reason the freaking price of bitcoin is going through the roof is because smart money and big companies are starting to see the forest for the trees and all the inflation and stuff. So we're just barely getting started, folks. But I think the big takeaway I, I would like everyone to have, and we'll go around the circle with some takeaways here, 
is it's better to get started now, right? There's that old expression about when was the best time to plant a tree. I'll let you share it there, Jack. It, it would be yesterday, and if not today, or 10 years ago. I mean, it's like as soon as you can. So, yeah, get get started, folks, because, you know, it's, it, all this stuff that we talked about today is pretty damn complicated, right? And and so you got to just start trying it out. Start small, experiment with it, set up a wallet, buy, you know, 50 bucks worth of crypto or whatever, and, and just get started. Get started somewhere. All right, let's go around the horn, and, and everyone can say the little parting words. Go ahead there, Hawk. Well, I just wanted to say thanks for having me, guys. I've been kind of missing in action for the past two months holidays and Rona and all of the, the other things. Um, but I think what we have here is like a, a, a real fun, uh, you know, gaggle. And just seeing that goose today made me really think about it. There's a, a whole community of us out there who are looking to be left alone and to have the resilience that we need to take care of our families well. And I think it's important that we, we grow that community, grow our network, grow our economic network. And, um, you know, it's great to be here. Cool. We got Jack. Well, I wanted to say something about what you just said about it's still early in the game. Way back on March the 25th, 2014, episode 1320 of the Survival Podcast, I had John Bush on the Survival Podcast to talk about Bitcoin. <laughs> um, I was unable to pin down the exact price of Bitcoin on that day, but let's just say on the at, at the end of the month, it was $478. And there were so many people saying, I missed the opportunity. And John said, it's still early in the game. And a lot of people lost their fucking minds and said, this guy is crazy. <laughs> and, like, there's no way Bitcoin goes much higher than this $478 or wherever it was at. And who might like to buy their ass $478 a coin Bitcoin right now? Yeah. And that's uh, just... Just a little bit of perspective about how early in the game and how you we often think, you know, and I, I just know a lot of people said, you know, just a few months ago, if Bitcoin goes down, I'm going to buy me some Bitcoin. Here we are. Okay. Are you? I'm just going to say, like, so, yeah, we are early in the game. Anyway, um, I will just say on that, I think we did episode 3019 today of the Survival Podcast. It was 1320. We've been around a while, so come check us out. We've been talking about things like Bitcoin decentralization and all the other stuff that we talk about for self-reliance for now 14 years. It'll be 14 years this June. Impressive. Nice, nice. Wow. And, you know, just just don't let just for perspective, don't let yourself say, man, I wish I would have bought Bitcoin when it was forty two thousand. When I saw that Unloose the Goose episode 70 two or three years from now, when it's two hundred and fifty thousand. Right. It's got to be. I'm telling you right now, it's got to be. Bitcoin will cross a million dollars in this decade. I think so. And of course, the dollars are getting inflated. So it may be a point where like a million bucks isn't even that big of a deal. And that's yeah. why Bitcoin is so valuable. All right, what do you got there, Brian? There you That's go. what I was going to say. That was my wrap-up right there. It, uh, decentralization and trust are inversely related. If a thing requires trust in it, it is going to go down. The gig's up. The media's done. The politics <laughs> are done. The science is now done. They've all shown their hands to be lying whores. Decentralization is the natural rebuilding from the ground up. It's the way that will happen. 
So if you are going to position yourself in the next 10 years, how to get in with it, things that are using decentralization to grow, be attracted to that. All right. Food Forest Farms for all things me at Scrambling. See ya. Love you guys. All right. Good man. Okay, great. This was great. Um, before we go, I want to invite everyone to participate in the Greater Reset. It's absolutely free. It's our pushback to the World Economic Forum's Great Reset. Decentralization is one of our big ethos. In fact, there's a whole day dedicated dedicated to decentralization and privacy technology. Again, that's taking place January 26th through the 30th. You can host an activation hub in your area and invite people to watch. There may already be an activation hub in your area. That's where ho- folks are doing workshops and, and hosting a screening. And then if you want to come down to Central Texas, we have two hubs that are real close to the actual venue, and there's still room to join in Morelia, Mexico, if you want to go head down south of the border. Mexico, 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 vatos locos, way. All right, folks, that's a wrap. We're out. Until next time. Honk, honk, honk. Honk, honk. Honk. Unloose the goon. We'll take no you. Paradigms run out of time and we've got no use.